Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts. Block Talk Radio and tune in. Your host Oscar Lopez, episode two three nine. We are going to be talking NFL Week One, two thousand eighteen. We're going to preview a couple matchups in Week Two. We are going to be talking Legends Football League as the Eastern Conference Finals happen this weekend via YouTube, and we get ready for Legends Cup broadcast this Saturday as the Chicago Bliss will be taking on the Austin Acoustic. We're also going to be diving into international news as well from Brazil, Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, and uh, other uh, news and notes from the International Women's American Football uh, News and Notes and Events that are coming up, and Gridiron Queensland as well, down under. And so uh, it's going to be a great show. We are going to have in the house, always always informative, uh, Troy Wilson and... We're going to have WFA All-Star Holly Custis alongside IWFA All-Star Mackenzie Brooks in a little bit. But we are excited. We're going to have in about an hour here Russell S. Baxter of uh, ProFootGuru.com, and he's going to go into detail into week two and also kind of dive into week one as what happened in week one. So, uh, guys, welcome. Uh, big, big weekend, especially in Chicago with Aaron Rodgers and company. Uh, him coming back and kind of pulling that win. And unfortunately, no Bud Light beers coolers opened in uh, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least Cleveland uh, didn't lose, right? Technically, Holly. Technically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, man. You Cleveland fans, I know, I know they wanted to win. I know they did. But they have to take some kind of solace and knowing that they came out and hit the Pittsburgh Steelers in the mouth. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, what, what have they beaten them? 26 out of the last 27 times they played them? I mean, they went toe-to-toe with them. And just, you know, and then to elicit sort of a reaction from Le'Veon Bell, who posted on his Twitter account, like, you know, he was taking, a, he was looking close at what was going on out there. As if to say, you know, if you had me out there, you easily would have won that game. So, you know, to have all that dysfunction after the Browns put up that much of a fight, they got to take some kind of solace in that. It's all, I mean, especially in this generation of trolling. I think that was just the biggest troll ever, just to have them tie that game. I know they wanted to win, but they could still walk away with their heads up on me. Holly, what's your thoughts? If you're Cleveland, is this a blessing? You don't start 0-1-1? Uh, I mean, hey, you got to start somewhere. And I think anybody with any kind of common sense um, is looking at the grounds like, hey, you're not going to go from, you know, basically 0-16 to 16-0 and in one year. And I think what they have to focus on, especially if you're a Browns fan, is um, strong progression. And what they're looking for is being competitive against the better teams, and getting more wins than the year before and gradually building it. It's not going to happen overnight. 
they've been in the basement for so long that it's a complete culture uh, overhaul. Um, that being said, they have a, a couple of decent pieces now to, to work with, um, and I think you do have to kind of walk away from that feeling pretty good about yourselves because the Steelers have been so good for the last, you know, basically five, six years here that uh, even without Bell, they're still a really good team. So, yeah, you, you have to kind of take uh, uh, take it as a good thing, but then at the end of the day, you want to turn the corner and win. So hopefully they can um, do that next week against the Saints. Well, all I can say is Le'Veon Bell not being there could have made the difference for a Pittsburgh win. So I kind of, uh, in a way, he let this team down that way. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I understand why he wants to get paid, and I think he deserves to get paid. But at the end of the day, you, there's kind of that line where you've, you've crossed that line and now you're, you're hurting your, your teammates. And even though the backup played really well, I, I know that uh, the Browns' defense um, didn't have to necessarily pay attention as much to the backup as they would have uh, Bell. So it definitely helped the Browns' defense not having to worry about him. Um, so I, I do it hurt the Steelers. All right. So, Holly, let's start in Minnesota. I know it's heartache for you right now, but Cousins and company. The Niners did not look good. Offensively, they didn't look good. I mean, they got they got some things to, uh, to take care of going into week two. So, did you watch the game? What's your take on both sides, both teams? Well, for me, it's the same thing as um, uh, as a Browns fan. You have to like I'm I'm kind of looking at it from a very uh, level-headed perspective as far as with my Niners. I don't think we're Super Bowl ready quite yet. I think we're probably a year or two off, but we're heading in the right direction. We still have some holes, and we're on the road against the Vikings, who I think is going to be a Super Bowl contender. Um, they're really good. And uh, Cousins, you know, has not necessarily been the most consistent quarterback ever. He, If he can get consistent with the Vikings, with all the weapons that they have in their defense, their defense is really good. If Cousins can be consistent, that's a Super Bowl-worthy team right there. So, for me, yeah, we lost, and, yeah, we had mistakes, and we didn't look the best all the time, but we also did some good things, and we were competitive. We made it a game. We still had chances to win. Um, I think a big obstacle or a big issue we have to figure out is the running back position. Um, I think Alfred Morris has the ability to be that back, but he kind of struggled a little bit. Um, on the defensive side, we, we've made some improvements. Fred Warner, I think, is amazing. And as a rookie, I think even when Foster comes back from his suspension, I think they'll probably have Warner at the mic and move uh, Foster over probably to the wellbacker. And I think we probably have found uh, our replacement for Patrick Willis and uh, Bowman. And those two together I think are going to be amazing and DeForest Buckner has made improvements. Last year, he would he would get to the quarterback but not be able to finish the rush. This year, he's finishing, and I think he's going to be a huge factor. So we have some key pieces that are, are coming together. We still we need Goodwin to be healthy, um, and uh, I, I think we're going to be just fine. I, I think it's too early to hit the panic button. Minnesota is really good. 
Troy, uh, your Redskins, uh, everybody coming in, even I didn't think even the Cardinals were going to do anything, and here they, they show it. And unfortunately, they show it on the day that Adrian Peterson gets featured in this Washington Redskins offense. So their loss, your gain. Yeah, man. It, it, listen, that was a that was a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, you know, the, the Washington Redskins offensive line is is one of the tops in the league. And um, you know, but the problem is, for years the Redskins hadn't had a real viable option to, to to get back there. I mean, they they tried to put Fat Rob back there, and you know, he wasn't healthy, and he I mean, he also wasn't you know much of a game breaker. And, yeah, Chris Thompson back there, but you, I mean, you can see all the ways that they want to use him, and you know, you don't want to. He's but he's not a feature back. He's you know, he's a he's a smaller guy. You want someone that can take the pounding, and now they finally have one. And you happen to get a Hall of Fame running back who, you know, has kind of been trashed in the off season as having been done. And you see, like, you, you get a motivated guy back there in the backfield. That's that's a beautiful thing to watch. So just to pair those together. And now Jay Gruden could call plays the way he likes it. I really like the way that they're, you know, that they're responding to it. Um, but the the best thing about the Redskins is, is the defense. Now the defense is the part that really got the improvement. I mean, that was great that the Redskins could sustain drives like that. But it's also nice to kind of be able to have that luxury because you keep getting the ball back quicker. So the Redskins bolstering their defense and being able to stop the run, I think those are the things that really you know, and it let it all come together at one point. And that's what you want to see for a team. If they can keep that effort up on both sides of the ball, they're going to be tough to beat. But And right now, I mean, everyone knows, I mean, if you played any kind of sports, when it comes down to it, it's all about confidence. And right now the Red Kings are just, they're, they're oozing confidence right now. Alex Smith looked great. He was efficient. He was as advertised. He made smart decisions with the ball. He ran what he had to. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And, I mean, listen, I'm not, you know, uh, knocking Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins, he was comfortable in that offense. But Alex Smith, looked, he just looked really just at ease, just making the decisions that he made. So I'm really happy with everything that I saw, man. I mean, these guys were flying around, hitting people. You saw excitement. I couldn't be happier right now as a wrestling fan. Um, Holly, as a linebacker, do you think Khalil Mack just gave the finger to the Raiders? He played such an outstanding game against the Packers, even though they lost. But what a beast on the field. Yeah. I think when um, Oakland traded away Mack, I was very confused because he by far was their best defensive player, and he's a franchise-level guy, and I, I, there has to be something that we don't know. There has to be some sort of some sort of behind-the-scenes issue of maybe the, the front office just didn't want to pay or maybe they just wanted to go a different direction now that they had Gruden. And uh, I just I don't, I don't get it. I, I, like, he definitely could have helped them last night. And I when he was out there making plays left and right and having himself a left of the game, I was like, I just looked at the Raiders and I'm like, why? I, I still don't get it. I think it's going to be one of those things that years from now people are still going to be asking that question. Is it the same as you going to the Falcons from the Majestics and the Majestics not paying you in that, in that regard? <laughs> well, I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody's paying me right now. So, like, <laughs> if somebody out there wants to pay me, I, I <laughs> 
You know, I you're don't, all, it's not. You're all for the open. You're all for the open paycheck. I can tell. So am I. No, <laughs> no big deal. No, I, I just uh, think it's just silly. Yeah, it is. I, I, I scratch my head. I'm thinking this is one of the, your key pieces, and it showed against the Rams early. The Rams were just taking advantage offensively on that defense. Besides Cook, and I, I don't know what happened to Carr. Either, you know, I don't know bad night in Oakland or something to get ready for the game or something. But reality is the Raiders are just bad. They showed up and they're bad. And so the Rams, I think, were good, but they could, they're not, they weren't as good as they should be advertised. I think they were kind of rusty in the first half, pretty decent ball in the second half with the run game. And the receivers, I, I really liked, you know, uh, Coop and then uh, Brooke, um, uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, coming in there, I think they made some pretty decent plays. The run game was there. But uh, overall, I think they lost this. Um, so, Troy, let's speak to the Bears situation here. Mac makes an impact, first game out. Uh, Rodgers gets knocked down, comes back, and then here we go, miracle again, and Green Bay wins by a point. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll start with Aaron Rodgers. First of all, I mean, I've – between he and Tom Brady, I mean, just, uh, you know, arm talent and just quarterback talent, he's the best there is in the league. And we've seen him do this time and time again. And unfortunately for Bears fans, you've seen, seen him do that to them a whole lot. I mean, I could think back to the playoff game uh, where it was the Packers and the Bears for the championship. And um, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he does it to him again. I mean, he just he finds a way to make it happen. Um, but with Khalil Mack, I was, you know, like Ali said, I was surprised. I, I, I just didn't understand what he was doing. I mean, you don't trade that guy. I mean, a legit defensive player of the year candidate every year, he's already won that. So, I mean, I understand, that, well, you know, what the ranking was, but, you know, forget ranking. I'm just looking at impact. And if you pair him with some of the people that they had over there, I mean, they they could have made it happen. For the Bears – I mean, you just put that, that, that defense to another level now. Anytime you can add an impact player, and they have players on that front line especially, you know, that get to run around. They find, you know, they got a lot of speed at linebacker with Trevathan. They drafted the rookie out of, out of Georgia. They put some pieces back there for the Bears, and you add Khalil Mack, a defensive player of the year out there, they have just changed the, the dynamic of, of that conference right now, uh, I mean, in their division. But you know what? I mean, when you're playing against Aaron Rodgers, they shouldn't feel bad about that because they've seen it before. So, you know, you got to shake that off. It's week one. I know it's a hated rival, but you know what, man? you got 15 more of these. So, I think going forward, they should be pretty confident, especially as Khalil Mack gets more familiar with the way they run that defense. Um, Holly, what do we say of the dumpster fire that the Lions put on display in week one? against the Jets. <laughs> what oh, the geez. hell is that? I mean, if I... you're a Detroit Lions fan, you, you're like worse than a Cleveland fan right now. Oh, you're like, just like, what boy. the hell is this crap? Yeah. Oh, I was I... on fire yesterday. <laughs> I just like, my favorite thing was watching like the, um, the, the scenes of all the fan reactions. And I don't know if you saw it, but there was this girl that was uh, maybe, I don't know, first or second row, she definitely was a Lions fan, and at some point she like made a sign, or somebody gave her a sign that had that said Jets on it. And so she's wearing a Lions jersey, and she's probably like maybe eleven or twelve. 
And she was like, screw this. And then she grabbed a, a jet sign and was like, okay. It was so bad. And it's one of those things that when uh, Patricia took over, I was kind of hesitant about that because I feel like he, he's a decent defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a head coach. And and if he's going to be head coach, he better be sure that the people running the offense, um, you know, are, are taking care of the offense. And the other issue that I have, honestly, with the Lions, and they have attached their wagon to uh, to, to Matthew Shefford, and I, I don't think he's I don't think he's the, the franchise quarterback. He's not consistent enough, so you you either need somebody to work with him, or the other piece that they're missing is a true in between the tackles running back to take the pressure off of him. They have Riddick, and they have some nice flashy hybrid type backs that they implement in their passing game, but I think because they don't have a true inside running game, it it's harder for him because everybody is just, okay, we're just going to drop back in coverage, and he got picked off left and right, and it got to the point where I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, there goes another one. Oh, there's another pick. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I just think they they're, they're worlds away from being competitive and unless something um, changes in, in a hurry, they're in for a really long year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know what, uh, Troy, Jets fans, what do you say about that? Should you just be hyping the D right now after after the first win? Because Donald did make a mistake early, but then he kind of recovered. But if you're a Jets fan, this is like the most picks you've seen in, what, four years? Oh, yeah, man. I mean – I know a whole lot of Jets fans, and I think just the way that their fan base is, you probably know some Jets fans too. And they're just a different breed. And right now, man, they are they are going at it. You know, they're fighting with each other about whether or not they should, you know, uh, expect this all the time. You know, so I mean, they're they're so excited right now. They don't even know how to handle themselves because I mean, no one saw this coming out. But it's the best case scenario that you could have had because you gave your rookie quarterback all that confidence the way he came back and, you know, uh, shook off that first interception and then just, you know, after that got on his horse and put that team on his back. And then for the defense, I mean, they lost some pieces in the offseason. Uh, they lost Muhammad Wilkerson. And, um, you know, they they had some pieces that everyone was kind of having questions about. And But they also had a Tremaine Johnson. He was as advertised. He was physical. You know, they, they played great coverage in the secondary and showed a whole lot of leadership out there with Jamal Adams. If this guy's in the second year, he's already a leader on that team. That's the best-case scenario for the Jets. So they've got to be excited with their prospects, and they got to be looking at chops to see how they're going to respond once they play the Patriots because that's where the real measuring stick is for that team in that division. Holly, were you surprised that uh, Tampa and New Orleans became a shootout? I, I just didn't. I was anticipating that because Fitzpatrick can throw the ball and Breeze always throws the ball, and here we had a, sh- a shootout, basically, 48-40. Uh, I would say yes and, and no. Um, I do. I know that Fitzpatrick, uh, Fitzpatrick can throw the ball, and obviously anytime you have Drew Breeze involved, you're, you're going to expect high numbers. But I think the, the bigger surprise um, – for me, is that uh, Deshaun Jackson lit up everybody, and um, sadly for me, I had him on my fantasy bench. So <laughs> look at him for next week or the week after, because 
obviously he has a really awesome connection with uh, Fitzgerald. Um, but yeah, the, the Bucks. I mean, if they're if they're going to want to compete, especially when they have uh, Winston on the sideline, they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to pull out some wins. And if Fitzgerald can do that, then all the more uh, power to him. But I am surprised they were out, uh, able to outgun Drew Brees because it, that's a tall order for sure. And uh, Troy, your assessment of the Eagles' start, eighteen to twelve against uh, Atlanta. Was it just Atlanta not being great right now, or just the Eagles just have more quality talent? It just looked like the Eagles were just a little better, even though Foles didn't really play that great. Well, I mean, the thing about the Eagles is just they they didn't play to the expectation of, you know, what their fan base thought. I mean, it's a lot of the fans out there that are actually disappointed at their performance, even though they won the game, which I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand that one. But I think. But you get booed in right. Philly no matter what, whether you show up on the field, <laughs> win or lose. Right. So you know, but looking how Foles played out there, I think everyone is just wanting to know when they're going to get uh, went back. So Wentz back. So I think that's really the key. I think you know, going forward, I think the offense will look better. At least the fans' perspective is the offense will look better when he gets back. But listen, keep in mind the. The, the Atlanta Falcons defense was not a bad defense. Okay, those guys fly around; they get paid too, and they got a lot of horses on their side. And they also had one of the best defensive coordinators over there, you know, running that defense. So, don't look at—I I would say the Eagle fans don't look at it like you know you got a bad offense. You were playing a really good team, and for the defense, they—they—they they played when they made the plays that they had to. I mean. They let uh, Julio Jones get off a little bit. But, you know, you kind of expect that going in. They're going to move him around. They want to get him the ball. And you kind of expect that. But they wanted to keep them out of the end zone, and they did a really good job in doing that. Holly, the other matchup was fireworks was uh, Mahoney-era starts in Kansas City against uh, Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. So that was a pretty back-and-forth game. It's 38-28. Uh, this is, this is going to be a battle in the West if uh, Kansas City can stay at the level they were last year with Smith, so. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, Mahomes had a, an amazing game. That's the best I think I've seen him play so far. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs have obviously invested a lot in him. And so, again, a lot of this, a lot of these young quarterbacks, the biggest thing is, is being consistent. So can he do that week in and week out? Um, and then also uh, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, and I did start him on my fantasy team, and thank you because that was 34 points for me. Um, I I really think the big issue with the Chiefs, though, they did, I mean, they did face Philip Rivers, but they allowed over 400 passing guards in this game, and if they are going to win, you know, where they were or even improve upon last year, they can't allow 400 passing guards consistently. Um, on the on the Chargers side, obviously, 400 yards of passing is is a great sign for Philip Rivers. But I, I think like the Chargers, that team that on paper they have the talent, they should be good, and sometimes they just don't make the plays when they're there. And so I feel really bad for the Chargers because I feel like they're kind of a team without a home. I feel like nobody really cares about them in LA. And I feel bad because I feel like the the players didn't move the team, and they deserve 
uh, to be supportive. So I hope that they get some more uh, support in L.A. Yeah, we care about them. They're on a car seat in the back of the Ram truck. That's all I'm saying right now. I don't even think they're in the car, Oscar. I think they're on the sidecar. No, they're strapped to the car seat. I'm being generous. They're right there (laughs) down south. Yeah, so um, the Chargers are fine. I mean, I think that they're going to be okay. They're offensively, they they can put some numbers up. So I, I don't know at this point what's you know what's going to happen. Um, let's let's go ahead and preview right now Thursday night. What an exciting game! The Bengals against the Ravens. This is going to be huge. Um, I think for Baltimore since they start off really well. Cincinnati kind of I don't know. This is always they get to the end and they can't finish. So. Um, this is week two for them. I didn't have the score whether they won in week one or not because I didn't really care. But anyways, uh, Cincinnati versus Baltimore. Flacco did well uh, for my fantasy stats as well. So congratulations to him and thanks to him. But uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Troy, what do we say here? Man, um, I like the way both of those teams came out and fought. I mean, I don't know if the Buffalo Bills are the worst team I've ever seen in history or the Ravens are really just that good. I'm kind of leaning toward Buffalo being the worst team in history, uh, but they look good out there. I mean, the Ravens, man, they they punched them in the mouth, man. I mean, that was just, uh, just a dominating performance. I mean, again, this is all about confidence going forward, and you got to think, Especially with the you know the drafting of the quarterback you know uh, with Lamar Jackson coming in there, Flacco kind of being you know upset about that. He came out and he played a solid game. So I mean, they have to be happy. All Ravens fans got to be ecstatic right now. This this is like the glory days, which you know has been for them. It's been a long time. So you know them having a down year last year. This is not something they're comfortable with. So it's good to see them going back in that direction. Now, with the Bengals, I think I'm excited about that defense. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, up front, you can match that to anybody else in the league. I mean, including the Rams. I mean, you know, as far as their defensive front. Uh, Geno Atkins, one of the top three defensive tackles in the league. I mean, these guys are solid up front. And then even when, you know, Sean Williams went out, they had the seventh-round pick come in making play after play out there, I mean, you gotta be excited. You gotta like their depth now and, you know, the confidence that they're gonna they're gonna have going forward, they gotta be going crazy right now. Holly, let's look at Monday night. Uh your uh local team, the Hawks, taking on the uh Bears that just came off this thrilling loss and adding Khalil Mack to the mix. So should the Seahawks be scared at this point? I, I actually think so. Um, I mean, last week uh, the Seahawks, to their credit, they, they fought hard in it in a loss against the Broncos, but they still had the same issues. They only had 64 rushing yards in the game, and it's not going to cut it. They, they they need more help for Russell Wilson. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Penny only had seven carries for eight yards, so that's not going to help. Uh, and they also need to find a number one receiver if Baldwin is going to be in and out. Um, and then they also allowed, even though uh, Earl Thomas was that, they allowed three, uh, 327 yards to the air. So their secondary is still having issues. So the Seahawks are going to struggle this year. And I think the Bears 
I'm not quite. They're not quite on the level of a playoff contender, but I think they're maybe a notch below that this year um, as far as the talent they have. And I think even though they they lost, I think that they they have momentum. And if Trubisky can play like he did in that first half, I think the Bears are going to win that game. What do we say of the uh, this great challenge that the Niners are going to have this week against uh, Detroit, who showed their muscle in Week One? <laughs> I'm I'm so excited to play the Lions. Uh, you know, we need kind of a, <laughs> okay a reset button. Hey, we played like you know one of the top two or three teams in in the league, and here's a chance to kind of get our confidence back a bit. I I think you know the other thing about Stratford is he was definitely injured. Uh, in that first half, I, I think he had extended his knee. Um, and you could tell when he would drop back, he couldn't plant quite fully on that front on that front foot. And so he was throwing a lot off his back foot in, in the second half. That was an issue. But that being said, I, I think we're going to get after we're gonna get after him on defense. And so I'm pretty confident about this game at least. All right, let's uh, bring in Mackenzie here because apparently uh, we're silencing, silencing her. Uh, what about that Dallas win, Mackenzie? Oh, oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, well, to be honest, I'm not too worried about my defense at this point because my defense was more impressive than I thought, especially with it having been the first first game out of the gate, not, you know, not a preseason game like an actual – you know, week one NFL game. Um, Demarcus Lawrence, who actually happens to be my favorite player, uh, came out guns a blazing. Like he just, I don't know what he ate or what he had the night before, but I need him to keep keep eating th- that and just keep beast boating because he he had tackles for losses, he had sacks, he had strip fumbles, he had, I mean, he had the whole package at this point. My main concern is is not even Dak with my offense. It's getting these young receivers to get enough separation to get those long balls that Dak likes to throw. That's, that seems to be our main problem, which is where we could have used Dez Bryant. But in the same aspect, Dez isn't quite a number one target for receiver, which is why I feel like the Cowboys themselves try to push him out because there's other talent on the team that needs to be um, exposed. You're going into Sunday night against the G-Men, your rivals. Anticipation yeah. here? You think they're – do we go 2-0 and here? Um, yeah. The, I'm, I'm thinking the, it's going to go into overtime, I can tell you that, because um, with the caliber of play, it's, it's really just going to be another defensive battle, to be completely honest, um, unless Saquon or Ezekiel Elliott can, um, you know, start getting the muscle in there and start grounding and pounding. Zeke started to do that a little bit too late um, in this week one game. But um, like I said, it's week one. You know, the first couple of weeks of NFL season are really just knocking all the rust off. And I think by at least week three or four, um, we'll start to see some more competitive games, at least out of Dallas' side um, in terms of the offense. Um, I'm more or less worried that our defensive backs, as far as our corners and safeties, um, are going to get burned because they're – They've been used to sitting, you know, sitting behind, you know, for a year or two watching the veterans play, and now that it's their turn, um, I feel like there's still going to be a little bit of nostalgia left. 
All right, uh, McKenzie, I'll pick your brain here. We we know Cleveland loses and we take it on Drew Brees. I just don't see Browns winning here. So I, I feel bad for them already. I to be honest, I don't think I'm gonna I'm picking the I'm picking the Browns. Um Seriously, you're picking the Browns? Yes I am. Yes I am. I am picking the Cleveland Browns to Listen to our audience Brees. here. All everybody that's listening right now. Mackenzie has just predicted the Cleveland Browns will win week two. Just yeah, make sure you upset. guys listen it's, to it. And it's going to be by three. It's not going to be, it's not going to be some like crazy number. It's not going to be like a 45 to 17 win or something. It's probably going to be somewhere along the lines of 30 to 27. You think Tyro Taylor has that much, that much against Brees? Well, I guess, I guess you're I, right. Cause Fitzpatrick went toe to toe. So, I guess that could happen. I do, and only because now, you know, Tyra Taylor is in, a, is in an offense that fits his, his pro-style dual threat um, characteristics as a quarterback, and he actually has receivers around him now. And especially um, with him and Baker Mayfield going back and forth as far as who's going to stay that permanent spot um, for this season – is really what I think really what's going to light the candle under, um, under Tyra Taylor. So Troy, uh, see how this card turns out. Yeah. Troy, uh, Indy, Indy, uh, gets welcome in Washington and given the, the performance we had in week one, I just don't see Indianapolis coming out here with a win. Well, I don't know. Um, look, Andrew Luck is back. I mean, one of the things that I saw watching him play was he felt comfortable out there. And I think one of the, the, the biggest things that happened for him is he took a hard shot and he got right up after it. And coming off, you know, as long as he's been off with the shoulder issue, I think that's a big confidence builder going forward. So, you know, listen, Indianapolis is not who they were. I don't think they are who they were in this in this first um, in this first game. I just think going forward, a lot of these teams who didn't look as good and we won, they're going to start making these corrections and getting it going in week two. You see it all the time, and I think especially with Andrew Luck, the way this guy plays high octane, it's going to be a great match, especially going against that Washington front, and then you know all the the you know the great plays they played in the secondary. We'll see if they can do the same against Andrew Luck. And this guy is just on a different level than Sam Bradford. Holly, Green Bay takes on Cousins. This is going to be a great matchup, kind of like Chicago-Green Bay to kick off week one. So, Rodgers, Cousins, uh, do we expect a shootout here? Well, it really depends on the health of uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is able to go, um, then, yeah, I think this is a, a playoff. Did we lose her? Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, okay. I don't know where I went, but I was saying, I was saying that it all depends on on the health of uh, Aaron Rodgers. If he's able to go, then this is going to be a, a very very competitive uh, game. I think the Vikings are a top to bottom a stronger team, um, but then the Packers still have Aaron Rodgers, and um, 
I don't know it's necessarily going to be a shootout shootout, but I would expect it probably be at least in the 30s, and it's going to be a back-and-forth game um, as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy. If he's not, then I, I think the Vikings will probably roll. Um, but uh, hopefully he's healthy and uh, we can have a, a competitive game. Mackenzie, uh, the Panthers looked somewhat okay against the Cowboys, and now they get Atlanta, who falls to the champs. So at this point, is it going to be worse for them, I think, for Atlanta if they go 0-2 at this point? Um, I would have to agree with you. Only in the plain fact that, you know, Matt Ryan has kind of undergone some uh, scrutiny as far as having the contract, the kind of contract he did a few years ago, and then, you know, essentially making it um, all the way to that game and essentially coming up and not coming back with the win. So it's going to be interesting to me, especially because he's got Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu as two deadly targets for receptions and touchdowns. So it's just, it's going to be interesting to me how Atlanta uses them this week. Um, I'm also interested to see if Matt Ryan uses his legs like he's been known to before um, to help extend plays. All right. So, Troy, uh, Texas over in Houston. Houston takes on Tennessee. It's kind of a big rivalry as well. So, uh, the expectation here, obviously, Tennessee on a high. Josh Houston, not so much. So, uh, who do we take here? Well, the, the Texans, you know, they lost Mariota. So, um, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but um, I think he was injured. So, that's that's going to be interesting for them going forward. Uh, and both teams didn't fare as well as they wanted to in week one. And those, you know, have to make those corrections. But I think um, with Houston, they feel like, that you know, they expected to kind of go out and dominate. And they just they didn't play as well as they, as they could. Um, but I think they have, you know, you know, playing against New England, they felt like they were in a dog fight, and you know they did. They went toe to toe with them, so they can still feel confident going forward. I just think Houston right now probably has the better, uh, better team, and I think Houston to take this game. Holly, the Jets and Miami. If if Gang Green wins here, this back to back wins, and they especially beat the rival in Miami. Uh, this is going to be huge for them, especially with Do- uh, Sam Donald. You know, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I mean, it's a just defense plays like it, like it did uh, this last weekend, then I think they should definitely win. Tannehill is back for the Dolphins, but they they have some some holes, I, I think, and it, I think it's more to do with the Jets' defense than it is with Sam Darnold. I think Sam Darnold definitely, uh, considering the fact that he threw pick six on his first ever pass, he did bounce back pretty well. And as long as he keeps his composure, which is something he naturally does well, and he doesn't uh, let it affect him if he does make a mistake, um, I think that's really what the Jets need on the offensive side. And then if the defense can make plays, I'm going to take the Jets in this one, actually. Mackenzie, uh, the champs uh, edge uh, the Falcons, and now they get to face uh, the Buccaneers coming off this huge shootout win against New Orleans. So Fitzpatrick looked good. 
So if he starts to play as good as he did in week one, uh, should the Eagles be worried? Honestly, they should be worried if, if Fitzpatrick can, you know, keep the consistency that he's had through week one. I think the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have a tough time getting pressure on him, especially with the offensive line of uh, Tampa Bay being used to, you know, having blocking for Jameis Winston, who's more of a pocket passer, who's more of a a, um, a gunslinger. And you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's more of um, – he's also more of a po- pocket passer, but he's a little quicker with his release. He's a little bit more technically sound in terms of um, getting his hot reads and, you know, just making just overall pocket awareness. So I think if Fitzpatrick can get, you know, get his – get it going again like he did in week one, I think the, the Eagles defensive line are going to have a, an extremely tough time trying to get that pressure on him. Troy, uh, Oakland goes to Denver. If they go 0-2 here with all this chaotic thing and selling, uh, selling Mac to Chicago, if they start bad here, if they show bad here, Denver played pretty decent. So if Denver can elevate and make the Raiders look even worse than the, what the Rams did, we got issues in Oakland. Well, I will say this. Um, I think the Oakland Raiders, I think that game went exactly the plan because that front that, that the Rams have, that's a scary, scary front. I mean, you know, uh, Simile for the Raiders, the, the guard uh, for the Raiders, I mean, that guy was an all-pro. And Aaron Donald, was just, he, was, he was just destroying them. And Dominican Sue just destroyed them. And I, I like the Broncos defensive line, they are just as good. Uh, but, I mean, well, I won't say just as good. They're, I think they're a step back from that Rams defensive front. So, I think they'll make the corrections going forward. Um, and I like the way that they run the football with Marshawn Lynch. And um, I just really, you know, the main thing I think that's going to hurt the Raiders is that they lost Michael Crabtree. I think they needed him. I mean, Jordy Nelson, maybe it's going to take a little bit of time for them to be able to gel, but I don't know. I mean, I think both of those guys probably wish, you know, I, I don't know. I think they would be better off with Michael Crabtree, but, you know, it's, it's going to take them some time to get comfortable with each other. The only weapon they had was Cooks, and if Cook, uh, Jerry Cook, I think, the only weapon they had is Jerry Cook, so they're going to have to play this play-action screen game if they want to even win in the West, but Denver did look pretty good. Um, Holly, let's bounce to you here. Uh, New England takes on Jacks. Uh, New England, obviously, same old, same old. Come in week one the, with the with the win. Now they take on Blake Bortles. I just don't see Brady losing. Um, you know the interesting thing is with with the Patriots. Um, I think their defense has improved a little bit. Um, it's going to be. I think this is one of the best games of uh, this next week, and honestly, it's going to be really interesting. Tom Brady still looks pretty good. Um, you know, they they did their thing. Um, the Jags, their defensive front is still really really good. I think this is going to be a back and forth game that could go either way, um, and hopefully, you know, maybe down the line it, it could be uh, a Super Bowl level game. I think um, I may actually lean towards the Jags just because their front seven is so good. Um, but, you know, every time I go against Brady, it ends up badly. So we'll see. 
Yeah, it's like a bad drink. I never go against Brady. Kind of, it's just the way it is. I, I know. It happens. Yeah, it's like a bad drink. Um, Mackenzie, Kansas City, Mahoney, uh, Mahoney area against uh, the Steelers. No bell, but they got Connor. was pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, let's go with the scenario here. If the Steelers fall, even though they tied in week one, what's that going to say about this whole controversy with bell? And if Kansas City wins, that's literally going to be an upside for them losing Smith to Washington, and now they get Mahoney. Um, as far as Pittsburgh's concerned, if they do end up losing, I don't really think it's going to be – I don't think there's going to be much light shined on it because, you know, they're – them as, a, as an offense are still working James Conner into that um, first string role. I mean, although he did impress um, during week one, I think – I don't think there's – I just don't think there's going to be as much um, – of an issue as far as scrutiny is concerned with not having Le'Veon Bell there. Um, obviously, with Le'Veon Bell being out, it's going to, you know, it's going to give him more, um, you know, I guess more leeway to keep making an attempt to troll his team for, you know, not having paid him. And, um, you know, he's going to, you know, he's just going to keep on with the antics that he's already, you know, put himself in part of. So um, I don't really think it's going to be, like I said, I don't really think it's going to be that much of an issue as far as, um, placing blame on anybody per se. Um, it's just going to give Le'Veon Bell that leeway to, you know, try to keep up with the antics. Um, as far as Kansas City is concerned, I'm really excited to see Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and, um, and all the other components they have, Travis Kelsey, just see what they can do this season with that new, with Patrick Mahomes as their new starting quarterback, with having, you know, sent Alex to Washington. So, I'm just I'm really excited to see this new era of quarterback in uh, Kansas City start. Troy, the the Chargers rebound right? They should rebound this week, uh, given Buffalo's poor piss performance in Week One. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think the Chargers they have they have a good squad, especially on offense. I mean, every now and then, Phil River. Phillip Rivers, he'll, you know, he'll throw some interceptions out. But, man, this dude is a competitor. I, I'm a big Phil Rivers fan. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm part of his fanboy club because I just like the way that dude competes, man. So, I think Phil and, and – and, uh, I, I just think they bounce back, especially on defense. I just like the, all the components they have out there, even though they lost their cornerback again for the entire year. I mean, that kid is – he's having a tough time. But I really like the way they run – I mean, they play defense, and especially in the secondary. So I think I think they'll rebound. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge week two for everybody. Um, I know my Rams should not lose to Arizona, but stranger things have happened, and I just doubt they're going to lose in week two against Arizona. Arizona didn't look too hot. If we play at the level that we're supposed to play, we should be able to easy win for Los Angeles here. Um, so I'm going to be very happy and stoked as as. For two, uh, be a two and zero oh, so early. Um, any other thoughts, you guys, on week two? Let's just go around the table. Holly, any other thoughts, or what game do you do you think everybody should be watching? Um, I'd say the, the the top games, in my opinion, uh, are the the Panthers and the Falcons. Um, I think the Panthers are really a very interesting team, especially. Uh, uh, you know, with Cam Newton backfield and uh, Christian McCaffrey running all the damn plays, I, I, I think 
offensively they have a lot of weapons. And so if they're able to come out and beat the Falcons, and I, I think that says a lot about uh, their improvement from last year. And on the flip side, the Falcons, they don't they don't uh, want to start 0-2. And, and the Falcons struggle uh, with their red zone offense. Uh, they, they can move it between the 20s, but they really need to figure out a, a better way of getting the ball in the end zone when they get there. And so that's something they have to work on for the rest of the year. So that's going to be an interesting one. And then the second game is the, the Vikings and the Packers that we talked about uh, uh, earlier. And then I probably would also say um, uh, the Patriots and the Jags. Those are probably the, the three top games, in my opinion. All right. Mackenzie, what's your top uh, that fans should be kind of diving in this weekend, one, one game? Um, my top three, naturally, I have to pick my Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants because it's it's an NFL rivalry and has been for ages. Um, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be interesting just to see how Eli Manning and Dak Prescott shoot out at each other because that's exactly what's going to be. It's going to be a shootout um, with quarterbacks, and it's going to be a shootout on the defensive side of both. Um, my second game is actually um, the Vikings and Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers, against Kirk Cousins, you know, Dalvin Cook against Geronimo Allison. It's going to be – that game's going to be electric, and I'm actually really excited to see that one. I think my final one has to – I have to go back to that, that Cleveland game. I think a lot of people are going to be glued um, to see if the Browns can pull off a win, um, especially against Drew Brees, um, who we all know is uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, it's just it's going to be interesting to see if uh, the Browns can start a different streak other than losing. Um, even though they did, like you know, like we know, as long as um, even though they did tie with the Steelers, um, I think everybody's going to be glued to that game to see if they can pull up the pull off the upset against New Orleans, and that's why I'm picking Cleveland because they are the underdog. All right, Troy. What's your uh, couple of one or two games that you're going to be uh, that want us to kind of keep an eye on? Are you there, Troy? Yeah. Um, the, the one of the games I definitely want to see is the um, Pittsburgh Kansas City game. Uh, listen, Pittsburgh is mad as hell that they tied to the Browns. They are mad as hell. I mean, they hadn't won in forever, and you tied them. Pittsburgh is not happy right now. So you want to see how they respond to a Kansas City team that looks really explosive. It was already a whole lot of questions going into the, you know, um, into the season with, with the Steelers secondary. You want to see how they're going to perform against that Kansas City offense. That's one of the games I definitely wanted to see. The other one is Minnesota and Green Bay. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be healthy? He's going to need to be because that Minnesota defense is, was the number one defense in the NFL last year. So he's going to be facing a lot of fire coming down right down the barrel of the gun. So I hope his knee is healthy. I hope he's, you know, gutting it out. But, you know, he's going to need to have be a full strength to, to be effective against that team. And the other game I want to see, obviously, is the Indianapolis Colts and the Redskins. I want to see – if the Redskins can maintain a little bit of success going forward. There was a lot of questions going into the offseason, you know, how this team is going to respond. Most of these, most of the pundits out there picked them to be last. 
you know, but quietly the Redskins have been a stable organization. They haven't been doing all the crazy stuff they've been doing. They drafted well. They they got a lot of good players in there now. They got a great, you know, system going on. And now you got a great leader in Alex Smith and Adrian Peterson. Is he going to be able to keep it up? You know, there's been a lot of questions to see if he can continue his streak of, you know, of, of great games and see how long he'll last. But right now he looks strong. He's looking to prove people wrong. Definitely want to see that game and see how Andrew Luck responds after a loss. Now that he feels a little bit more comfortable and, you know, take a couple of knocks on that shoulder. We'll see if he's going if he gets better going forward and if he can start to gel with some of the new teammates that he hadn't played with for a while, a long time. So those are the type of matchups that we're gonna be looking forward to. Uh I am looking forward to um a rebound by the Buffalo Bills. I don't think they're that bad. Uh I really just <laughs> am intrigued to watch Detroit against San Francisco. I really do because I, I want to see how how much how much more of a dumpster fire the Lions are going to be this week uh, because I think San Francisco does have firepower. And so uh, if I had to pick another game, uh, I'm with McKenzie. Uh, I'm really rooting for the Browns to get their win. I think it's due. And I want to give everybody a Bud Light in, in Cleveland. Just open up the beer and let's get the early season going here with Cleveland fans. So it's pretty interesting uh, games are going to happen there. Um, let's go into Legends Football League Eastern Conference Championship. Uh, Troy Wilson, this was a matchup that we expected uh, from the beginning based on the schedule. We knew that these two teams were going to be here given the, you know, the schedule with Omaha and everybody else that they were playing. Uh, it really was uh, to me here. And what it turned out to be is a duel, which was great, defensive duel at that, and they stopped both offenses, McKean- uh, Matheny and uh, uh, Caldwell were really a non-factor throughout the game. It was more of a running game and the defenses. Troy, still there? Can you guys hear me? I can okay. hear you. All right, let me see if he – I don't know if he dropped off. He might have dropped off. Um, Holly, let's start with you. Did you feel like um, – Nashville, Chicago, this was the marquee game. We get, the, we get the playoff. We get the final. Two undefeated teams. One's going to lose here. Uh, we had questioned whether the Nashville schedule, given their you know, all-star fantasy talent that they had, was durable enough to, to contest them and challenge them. And all of a sudden, uh, Chicago did get tested twice with L.A., and they had pretty much a little tougher road, so they were more battle-tested. Um, so coming in here, Nashville really was the team that needed to kind of show something because uh, the Bliss have shown that obviously they're a championship team in the past. So uh, what was your thought process here when the score was literally 18-6 to defensive game pretty much? Uh, I'm not really that surprised. I mean, um, uh, Nashville being a newer team, um, I'm, I'm really not that surprised. I mean, they, they do have – some pieces, uh, some veteran talent, but then again, as a whole, they have not really obviously been here, where Chicago has. Um, and so I'm not surprised that the defensive battle um, or the outcome, I think Chicago's schedule better prepared them. Anytime you have a, a tough schedule and you're still able to win, it means that you're put in situations um, that are stressful situations. You know how to play when your back's against the wall, you know how to play when you're holding on to a lead. 
um, where a team that's not tested it uh, is more difficult for them. So no, I'm not really honestly that surprised. Um, I, I would, I think I did pick Chicago um, to win this game. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, the the leadership on both sides was great. Uh, coaching was pretty decent. Uh, Danica Brace, obviously former All Star player, huge big show linebacker as a coach. Um, I just thought they didn't use enough Stevie Snore. They didn't go in the run game like they should have. Um, they they just they literally stuck to more of a passing game. Matheny made mistakes with turnovers. And I think that was the key for them losing right there. Uh, Chicago made minimal. If anything, no mistakes. They were regressive. And they were playing even without Chantel Taylor, which is their number one beast. I mean, this is like their Mac, you know, the Khalil Mack of their team. And she was absent that game. They still won. So it's going to show you a lot about the coaching staff on the Bliss and uh, how they get everybody ready. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, like anything else in, in football, the, the team that uh, tends to make the more mistakes um, usually does not win very many games. And so um, if the Bliss were able to overcome their star player not being there, then you're right, that does speak volumes to the coaching staff as well as the rest of uh, the, the team. Able, it's basically the, the next moment up um, mentality and if they're able to rally around each other and still get it done, then, you know, props to them. Mackenzie, uh, now I think all of us were shocked that at halftime there was no scoring. It was 0-0 at halftime for this game. So I think everybody was shocked. But at the same time, not so shocked because this is kind of like the two best teams meeting in the playoffs. So it was kind of neck and neck. Yeah, I was actually – just a lot like everybody else. I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked. I figured at least at halftime it would have been at least 17-10. That's what I had predicted for halftime, and I was definitely off with the 0-0 Grimlock at halftime, um, kind of like we already discussed as far as, um, you know, them having to play without um, their Khalil Mack, Chantel Taylor, and still being able to come off with the win. Um, just goes to show you, you know, what kind of coaching adjustments were made, what kind of player adjustments were made, were made to, um, you know, to fill in her absence for this this championship game. So I was really surprised at that halftime score, and then just the overall um, ending score in itself was very. Um, the score itself was just a little bit underwhelming to me, but you know, kind of like we said, you're going to get that with a veteran team who's been there before and a team who's not been there before. Now, Holly, in the end, near the last quarter, it was literally still a, uh, I believe, 12-6 to game, and uh, the Bliss was down. They were able to make recovery, and then at the end, Matheny throws that uh, interception near the end zone. Allie Alberts just runs it back for a touchdown and literally seals the game right there, so 18-6. to and so uh, the Chicago Bliss, Allie Alberts playing in the last uh, game in Chicago. And so uh, moving on to Austin for Legends Cup. So great career. She's had a very good uh, receiver as well as a defensive player as well. So um, that was awesome to see, a walk-off uh, pick six, and they sealed the deal. I mean, anytime you're uh, talking about a high-level player that uh, can kind of 
um, you know, walk away on their own terms, so to speak, like that, then you can't you can't write it any better than that. And um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure that felt amazing, and uh, <clears throat> interested to see how it all pans out in Austin. All right, Mackenzie, uh, Legends Cup coming up here in Austin, Texas. Uh, you get to watch it this weekend, Legends Cup 2018. It is the Chicago Bliss. Uh, Jane Caldwell looking for her first championship, and she's going to be taking on the Austin Acoustic, who have played ball all year with Michelle Marshall and Anna Garza, two of our no-joke football supporters out there, um, as well as um, um, Martinez um, out there. So uh, we are kind of excited to watch it this weekend, but if you miss the Eastern Conference um, broadcast, you can go to Legends Football League on YouTube and watch it and replay it once again. All right, guys, let's go into the huddle right now, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can go to Zazzle, get up to 30% off on everything in the store, including our new T-shirt, the uh, the trophy T-shirt that we spotlighted this week on Twitter. Check it out, order it, um, and it's a hustle, earns you a trophy. That's the T-shirt. So check it out on Zazzle.com. And we're going to go into the huddle right now, talking NFL Week 1 with the uh, – ProFootballGuru.com, very own Russell Baxter in the house, as well as contributor to uh, WBLZ Media, Elite Sports New York, and uh, also you can find him on NFL Spin Zone and Fan Sided. So, uh, Russell, welcome to the Blitz, alongside Holly Custis and Mackenzie Brooks. How's it going? Uh, It's going well. How are you guys all doing? We're doing great. Living the dream. Living the dream. Now, what dream would that be? So, well, I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask, really. <laughs> very, very true. It's, uh, watching sports, covering sports, doing for a living is uh, is, is kind of uh, uh, almost surreal. You know, they're all out there doing all the work, and we're all out there just kind of writing and enjoying it. Exactly. Russell, um, week one, a little bit of surprises. Chicago, uh, Rodgers down, then he comes back. Khalil Mack kind of showcases his talent in uh, what Oakland obviously lost, and he gets to kind of showcase his talent in Chicago. Were you surprised at the way Mack played and how Rodgers came back? Well, I think anytime you come back from 20 to nothing down in the third quarter, especially the way he was hobbled, um, obviously, his knee bothering him and so on. Uh, you know, Khalil Mack, uh, you know, looked like a, a beast in the first half. It wasn't nearly as effective in the second half. And sometimes that's the residual effect of not being in training camp. Um, you know, we, you saw that with a couple of players this year, a couple of the holdouts um, who didn't have uh, particular staying power. Um, you know, training camp now is almost more about as much conditioning is anything else. I mean, there's such, such limited contact uh, when it comes to getting reg- ready for the regular season and so on. But, you know, again, uh, down 20 to nothing, given the circumstances, uh, you know, just just one of those evenings by Aaron Rodgers who, you know, in all the years I've been watching football, I've never seen anyone throw a football like he does. I mean, he's it's comparable to Dan Marino, but – um, it, there's something different about it. I mean, it's almost laser-like. 
And, uh, you know, the Packers, who had a rough year last year and look like they're about to have a rough year this year until he came back uh, in the second half. And, uh, you know, what, what a game, too, already. Um, Green Bay at home again against a divisional foe, this time against the Minnesota Vikings and the team that it didn't knock Aaron Rodgers out because, remember, he, he wound up coming back against Carolina last year. But for all due purposes, uh, he, you know, the Vikings were really kind of the team that squelched the Packers last year. Yeah, and you know what? It was a great game to watch because they came back, made a comeback. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bears, I think, I was more excited to see that the Bears were playing so well. You know what I mean? For so long, we've seen the Bears not play so well. And they actually went toe-to-toe with the Packers, so that was really exciting to see. Yeah, I, I all this summer, uh, given what they've done in the offseason of free agency, this is before the Khalil Mack trade. I refer to the Bears as the most intriguing team in the NFC. Uh, it's a club that's finished dead last in the division four years in a row. Um, coming into the year, they were 19 and 45. Uh, the pre, you know, in their last 64 games over the four seasons. Um, you know, Minnesota Green Bay dominant. Last year, they did not win a game in the division. Um, but Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, uh, you know, Anthony Miller, the second-round pick from Memphis, and then they go out and get back. And, you know, this was already a pretty respectable defense to begin with, top ten in terms of yards allowed. Now you bolster the pass rush, and, you know, Khalil Mack will, uh, will get his opportunities to get himself kind of a little more, uh, a little more staying power and so on. And, heck, they got – they get an extra day this week. Uh, they play the Seattle Seahawks at home on Monday night. Uh, Russell, what do you say to the Brown fans that the anticipation was there just to savor a win and look at we get a tie? It was kind of, I guess, disappointing in one end for them with all the changes that they came into this season. You would assume that – and then they played well. Uh, obviously, Bell wasn't playing for Pittsburgh, but – Overall, I think they were just waiting for this win over Pittsburgh, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, listen, they've made strides on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, they, they're still a little limited offensively, uh, but defensively, Greg Williams' unit with, the, with Miles Garrett. And, you know, it was, it's, it's funny. There were those out there who really questioned um, what they did in the draft, not Baker Mayfield, but with the fourth overall pick. A lot of people thought they would take Bradley Chubb. They wound up taking uh, Denzel Ward, the cornerback out of Ohio State. And for those critics who, you know, didn't even give Denzel Ward a chance, he had two interceptions on Sunday. So um, defensively, they look like they're right on stride. Offensively, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor um, had his ups and downs. He got sacked seven times, you know, offensive line-wise. They still have a long ways to go, but they hung in there. They down twenty-one-seven in fourth quarter, managed to tie the game, and uh, you know you got to crawl before you can walk. I mean, it's been a long time since they've won a game. You have to go back to week sixteen of 2000, um, 2016. So it's eighteen straight games in which they haven't got a win. You can't say eighteen game losing streak anymore because of the tie and so on. Uh, but very intriguing. I don't know what this means. The one team for whatever reason they've had pretty good success against is a team they don't play that often. And it's New Orleans Saints. They play the Saints this week. Uh, you know, since they came back into the league, they've beaten the Saints four out of the five times they played, and they beat them three straight in the Superdome. How do you figure that? 
Well, I can tell you right, your 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 analogy right now is with McKenzie because McKenzie just said that Cleveland should win this game against New Orleans. Well, yes, I did. And I'm calling it by three. Well, you. My apologies for that. Um, when you play defense the way the New Orleans Saints play defense on Sunday, you leave yourself very, very susceptible. And if, if there was one shocker on Sunday, it had to be the Saints losing at home to the Buccaneers. That's not to take anything away from Dirk Cutter's team and so on, but, um, you know, the, the Saints who turned the corner last year, at least we thought they did, uh, I mean, they looked helpless defensively. Um, you know, they weren't able to get any kind of a pass rush uh, against Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he just carved them up. Russell, what do you say of the dumpster fire that is Detroit? I mean, that was just a horrible thing that's happening there. Um, just bad showing for them for week one. Uh, I don't know if it was Stafford, offense. I mean, it just every everywhere it was just bad. So, you you see them improving at this point, or what do you what do you think of Detroit right now? Well, I don't think there's a there, there's nowhere to go but up and so on. But I also don't like to overreact to one week. I mean, I I've pointed out since last night, you know, we saw seven new head coaches, uh, five of them, you know, first time NFL head coaches, and of course you got Brad, um, Pat Shermer and and uh, John Gruden returning as uh, head coaches, they've been head coaches before with teams and so on. And all seven of them lost, uh, but obviously eye opening when it comes to the Lions who got off to such a great start. Uh, you know, I actually thought the Jets would win the game um, because to me, uh, you're talking about a Jets team that even though they have struggled in recent years, they haven't been to the playoffs since 2010. They were facing a head coach who they were in essence very familiar with. Okay, Matt Patricia yep. spent basically the last 14, 15 years in the AFC East with Bill Belichick. So, it's you know, there's an air of familiarity there. But the Lions on my night, Monday night, I mean, Stafford throws four interceptions. Matt Castle comes in and throws one. Um, they, they get a, The Jets get a pick six. Uh, the Jets' offense scored a touchdown. Their defense scored a touchdown. Their special team scored a touchdown. So every which way the loose, um, you know, nice effort by Todd Bowles' team. This was a team last year, you will recall, that some people said wouldn't win a game. And they played very, very well last year, despite the fact that they finished 5-11. and 11. For Detroit, I frankly, I never understood why they decided to part ways with Jim Caldwell. And I'm not saying that after the fact of what happened on Monday night. I just didn't understand. It seemed like they were building something there. But... Bob Quinn, who's the general manager of the Detroit Lions. He has New England Patriot ties. He knows Matt Patricia um, from New England. very much like Tennessee. Tennessee went to the playoffs last year, um, won a playoff game, decided to part ways with Mike Malarkey. Lo and behold, they bring in Mike Grable. How does Mike Grable know John Robinson? They go back to the New England Patriots. They, so, you know, it's like any other job in some ways. You're going to bring in people you're familiar with. But that was really kind of a disturbing Performance, And now you're hearing rumblings about, you know, the Lions veterans being worked very hard over the summer and so on. I mean, you know, that's nice after the fact. If they would have won 48-17, I'm sure some people would have been saying, you know, listen, thank goodness for Matt Patricia, you really got us in shape. Yeah. Uh, Holly, let's uh, shoot some questions to Russell here. Hey, how's it going? 
It's going well. How are you? Good. Okay. So maybe you can answer this question because I certainly have no idea. Why do you think Oakland shook out Khalil Mack? Well, I think, you know, first off, I'll say this about the Raiders. Um, they, there seems to be, I don't know if it's necessarily the word power struggle um, is the right word, but it's kind of hard to figure out. And I looked at what they did all summer and all spring in terms of moving personnel. Okay, you go back and look at the trades, free agency. I didn't even get to the draft choices yet. No team made more moves losing players. No team made more moves in terms of bringing in players. Is it John Gruden running the team? Is it Reggie McKenzie running the team? Is there a, a power struggle or whatever's going on there? It just doesn't seem like things are quite in sync yet. Um, as for Khalil Mack, you heard Coach Gruden talk about the fact that, um, you know, he wasn't at OTAs, he wasn't at training camp. Um, frankly, I, I just don't think they wanted to invest the kind of money that he was looking for. The Bears obviously did. And here's something else to keep in mind. Since 2003, the Raiders have been to the playoffs once, just once, and that was 2016. That was the year, by the way, Khalil Mack was NFL Defensive Player of the Year, so not to take anything away from him, but I think in terms of a long-range future, uh, the, the Raiders want to kind of start over again in terms of their defense. And, you know, I know Coach Gruden said afterwards, you know, we need a pass rush and so on, but they're counting on a lot of those young defensive linemen like Arden Key and Maurice Hurst to provide that. I think they had an opportunity didn't want to pay Khalil Mack heavy money, found somebody who was willing to give him a couple of first-round draft choices, and then kind of moved on from here. I, I, I don't think it's all that shocking given the circumstances um, because I think sometimes when you look at where this Raider team at, and again, I can't under you know underemphasize the fact they've been to the playoffs once in about 15 years. So even even with Khalil Mack, over these last couple of years and him playing very, very well, they still struggle. I mean, last year they were six and 10. So um, I think long range future wise is what they're thinking, but I'll go back to what I said originally, who's running the show in Oakland. Is it Reggie McKenzie or is it John Gruden? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. It just, it smells like there's something, there's something that we can't see that's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Cause I just don't understand. It, it's, it's as uh, head scratching to me as, as trading away Tom Brady. It, it just didn't make any sense to me. So uh, I appreciate your, your insight on that because it's pretty much what I think too. Um, the other thing is I'm, uh, I'm a 49ers fan, and um, so we obviously have a question mark at the running back spot. Do you think Alfred Morris is, you know, the guy, or at least a stopgap for the season? Or what do you think uh, our options are in that spot? I've always been a big Alfred Morris fan. Now, the difference about Alfred Morris being in, and by the way, let me let me also go back to the fact that when I was previewing the season, I did um, a series called the Best Off Season Editions by Position. And uh, I had Saquon Barkley as the number one running back off-season pickup. But number two, I had Jarek McKinnon. 
and I thought he was going to be a huge part of Kyle Shanahan's offense because of his ability to run the football and catch the football. Last year, Carlos Hyde led the team in rushing. He also led the team in catches. I envisioned McKinnon being almost a faster version of Carlos Hyde. Of course, that didn't happen. Now, Alfred Morris is a guy who can give you a lot of carries, but he's also a guy who's never been really a big part of the passing attack. And I think you saw on Sunday against San Francisco that Jimmy Garoppolo really relying on his tight ends as much as anything else. So um, he is a stopgap because I don't think ideal-wise it's a player that got now. That being said, Kyle Shanahan was in Washington in 2012 and 2013 under his father when Alfred Morris was there. So he's familiar with the player, but I don't know if he's necessarily the guy who fits Kyle's style of offense more. It's a, it was a big disappointment, obviously, and so on. And, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, that shines off the apple when it comes to Garoppolo. Hey, they, he went in to Minnesota and played the best defense in the league. And he got schooled a little, and nothing more than that. And now they get the Detroit Lions this week, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, how they rebound. And, you know, I I have a tendency to think they will rebound. And against Detroit's defense, I expect Alfred Morris to have a big day as a runner, not necessarily as a receiver. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. I I like Alfred Morris because he's kind of Mr. Dependable. Um, and I'm kind of taking it with a grain of salt this last uh, loss to Minnesota because I think Minnesota is really good. And, you know, we had opportunities to win even though it wasn't uh, pretty. Um, and then hopefully we can kind of progress on that for the next few weeks. And, you know, I know everybody is on the uh, Jimmy G train, and I think mm-hmm. he's the best quarterback we've had in a long time but we still have other holes on our roster. And so um, he's going to need some help, and it's going to take some time. So I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic. Uh, so I'm hanging in there. Uh, my my last question for you, uh, uh, I'm a big college football fan, and I never understood why everybody was on the Josh Allen train. Uh, when I watched him play in college, he was playing a lot of small schools, uh, that didn't have the talent level that he was going to face in the NFL. And when he did face uh, uh, better talent, he didn't have the best decision-making. He could throw the ball forever. That is totally true. And everybody was really excited in the preseason. Oh, my gosh, he could throw it 70 yards. But he wasn't necessarily actually completing the passes. So do you think Josh Allen is going to be the future of the Bills, or do you think this is another – uh, future bust at quarterback. Well, listen, somebody with that ability, with the big arm, okay, you know, guys like um, Jay Cutler, okay, um, guys like Jeff George, uh, guys with arms like that will always attract a lot of attention because um, they will be first round picks because of the skill and the potential. Um, and, you know, it's hard to tell if he's going to be successful at this stage because I look at the rest of the team right now who came, who come off a horrible performance against the Baltimore Ravens. 
And you say, well, you know, why? I mean, Josh Allen wound up getting thrown in there. He got sacked three times. Uh, as you saw, Nathan Peterman got sacked three times. He got picked off twice. Um, I mean, they really stunk up the joint at Baltimore. This, this was a team that was in the playoffs last year and opted to ditch their, their starting quarterback and Tyrod Taylor. So, um, again, they're looking toward the future as well. It's all going to depend on coaching with Josh Allen because when you have that raw ability, um, it's got to be developed. But I don't know how much development is going to happen this year. Um, and I have a tendency to think they're going to try and not throw him to the wolves, for lack of a better word, because let's, let's take in line. Listen, they had some injuries last year, so the, the regular players didn't necessarily perform all year. But their left tackle, Cordy Glenn, is now with the Cincinnati Bengals. Their left guard, Richie Incognito, is is out of football. Their starting center, Eric Wood, had to retire because of a neck injury. So this was a Buffalo team that for a couple of years led the league in rushing. Last year they were sixth in rushing. They're more of a running team. And three, you know, three-fifths of your starting offensive line, all veteran guys who played together, are all gone. So um, that plays a huge part. I think we still have a tendency, no matter – how many times you get warned to forget how important the offensive and defensive lines are in professional football. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions last year because of their depth on both the offensive and defensive lines. No, I totally agree with you. Um, Thank you so much for your insights. I'm going to throw it over to McKinsey. Okay. Oh, how are you doing today? I am doing terrific. How are you? You know, I'm great. Like I said, we like we discussed earlier, you know, we're living, breathing, and talking about sports, so I don't think you could get any better than that at this point in time. So my first question, I am a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. So, and with them, with them having struggled with, um, for in this first week of NFL play um, against the Carolina Panthers, what would you say is going to be the biggest downfall for the Dallas Cowboys in terms of um, offensive fluidity? Well, you know, this is a team that, you know, it's going to sound somewhat hypocritical about what I'm going to say, but keep in mind when I talked about the Philadelphia Eagles, I talked about their offensive and defensive lines, and I talked about depth. Um, the Dallas Cowboys have arguably the best starting five in terms of the offensive line. But as we see right now, their depth, having no Travis Frederick and nobody really to fill that void, is a big problem for them. We saw last year Tyron Smith go out for a couple of games. Okay, They didn't really have anybody to fill the void with him hurt. And we saw a young man named Chaz Green come in against Atlanta, and Adrian Claiborne got six sacks in that game. So, um, you know, Philadelphia was a team last year that had to replace one of the best left tackles in the league when he got hurt, and that was Jason Peters, and they managed to get the job done. Dallas is a very unusual team, and I don't disagree with their philosophy, but they've let other things around them kind of fall apart with Tyron Smith, with Zach Martin, with Travis Frederick. They have a tremendous offensive line. 
but they still have a very young quarterback that's only played two years. They have a running back um, in Ezekiel Elliott that, you know, is in the top three in the league in terms of talent. We've already seen him win a rushing title. Goodness knows what he would have done last year. He had been suspended for six games. But their passing attack, who are you throwing the ball to right now? Okay? Um, Jason Witten is with ESPN. Des Bryant is with nobody. Bryce Butler um, left via free agency. So they're really devoid of offensive weapons. And, you know, you had to be frustrating for them last, last week against Carolina. Because one thing we have seen from Dallas, we saw it during the summer and saw glimpses of it last year. Their defense might be their best defense in a number of years. Okay, uh, you know we we've seen their defense be a liability. We've seen their defense be so bad that their defense, their best defense, was their offensive line, and that was keeping the defense off the field. Um, I thought defensively they played very very well against Carolina. Uh, kept the heat on all day, kept Dallas off balance all day. And, um, you know, as of right now, their defense is going to have to carry them a little. That's the goal. That's the They've got a task ahead of them uh, against the New York Giants on Sunday night. The Giants' offensive line didn't look like anything special. Um, if Dallas is going to win that game, they're going to have to put a lot of heat on Eli Manning. And I won't be surprised if they do. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you a lot as far as, um, you know, not knowing who Dak is going to be throwing, throwing to or in terms of um, those wideouts. Um, my next question is, is do you think um, after, um, and I know it's just, you know, it was just a preseason series as far as um, who they were playing as far as second and third string players and receivers, do you think that Dallas Cowboys should, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt and start Michael Gallup at, one of those um, receiver spots just to see what he can do within in an actual game situation? Well, listen, I, I think down the road he will wind up a full-time starter for them. I mean, I think that's in the cards um, for them. Um, they're going to need him to because, again, they're very devoid of offensive weapons. You know, I know they have Cole Beasley and they have Terrence Williams and um, you know, but I mean, the question marks a tight end. Um, they need Zeke Elliott to be more involved in the passing game right now. So, uh, you know, it, it's great when you have a receiver like Pittsburgh does in Antonio Brown, and he gets a lot of balls thrown his way. But the Steelers have, you know, they've got Juju Smith Schuster. Uh, you know, when he's around, Le'Veon Bell can catch the ball. Um, you know, if he even plays for the Steelers anytime soon. But James <laughs> Conner caught the ball the other day. They've got some decent tight ends uh, with Jesse James and Vance McDonald's back, backed up right now. You've got to be able to spread the ball around. Uh, uh, the worst thing you can be in the NFL is one-dimensional. And that, you know, especially when it comes to the passing game, because if your passing game is not clicking and you have, don't have the run game to support it, I mean, look, we talked about Matthew Stafford a little earlier. The Detroit Lions haven't run the ball going back. You know, you go back to 2014. They have the worst running game in the league over that span. Uh, let me give you, to me, what I think is a pretty incredible stat that held up on Monday night. If you include the playoffs, which the Lions made the playoffs two of the last four years, okay, the Lions have played 67 games 
since the start of the 2014 season, six, 65 in the regular season and two in the playoffs. As a team, they've been held – I'm not talking about an individual. As a team, they've been held under 100 yards rushing in 51 of the 67 games. Now, you can't be worse in terms of throwing it all on Matthew Stafford. Okay, you've got to have some balance. The running game also keeps your defense off the field as well. Dallas knows that as well as anyone. So uh, if you want to be predictable, you're going to lose very, very quickly in this league. I think that's happened to Detroit a little on Monday night. And, you know, Dallas, because they're so limited right now, um, was kind of in the same boat. That being said, they went into Carolina, held the Panthers to 16 points. Yeah, like I said, I'm very impressed with my my Dallas Cowboys defense overall. I think mm-hmm. Demarcus Lawrence and um, Sean Lee together make a very scary tandem, especially with Sean Lee's um, speed and, and blitzing ability, especially coming off of edges out of nowhere. It's almost like you he's one of those linebackers that likes to hide behind, you know, the defensive line. Most Most linebackers, at least in the NFC East, don't. Um, they want to make themselves known that they're coming. Sean Lee, I feel like, is one of those who's um, who likes to be very sneaky, which is great because you'll you almost never really see him coming unless you know um, the team, the offense is running those screen plays on the backside, um, you know, wide sides of field, short sides of field, uh, things of that nature. So my final question is, um, do you see Cole Beasley um, being able to step up into that leadership role? As far as being one of those, um, one of one of the top uh, targets for Dak Prescott and this um, kind of uh, flat offense, um, as far as passing is concerned. Well, I think he has to. Okay, they have to find some answers. Um, they can't make this all about Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, it it, it 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 just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when it wasn't Ezekiel Elliott, it was DeMarco Murray. And DeMarco Murray made life easier for the rest of the offense. That Obviously, the offensive line, but he made life easier, obviously, for Jason Witten and Des Bryant and Terrence Williams and so on. Again, you have to be able to be balanced in this league. Um, you know, I, I know talking about the quarterback becomes very, very vogue. But if he doesn't have the right supporting cash, you're going to be in an awful lot of trouble. So, um, you know, to me, Dallas has to have numerous options as, as, in terms of receiver. I mean, they really parted ways and stuff. Listen, they have Alan Hearns there now. Tavon Austin is more about – they're more, more using him in the Lance Dunbar role as a running back than they are necessarily um, – you know, as a wide receiver, kind of an outlet guy as, as as well. Lance Dunbar, who I thought was a very, very underrated player for them for a couple of years, that's kind of Tavon Austin's role. They're, they're really struggling to find themselves in terms of the passing game. You know, I, you know, Des Bryant, over a three-year span, had an unbelievable run. I think he had like 41 touchdowns in a, in a three-season span. Um, you know, his natural ability made up for a lot of different things, but he was very inconsistent catching the football last year. And from a, from a reliability part and a leadership part, losing Jason Witten, I don't think can be underestimated 
whatsoever. I know, you know, some people thought in the last couple of years, you know, he had slowed down, he had gotten older and so on. I don't know about you, but when you have a guy who's caught the fourth most passes in the career um, in NFL history, I don't care how slow he is. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I think that's um, one thing that he um, he was going to struggle with anyway if he were still on the Dallas Cowboys as far as being that um, or not being that number one um, targeting option as far as um, those wide receiver passes and receptions are concerned. Um, which, and I, to be honest, to me, I think, I think even with him having dropped just with age and, and attrition, he would still be that number one, um, especially because he's known for coming up with big passes when it counts and when we need. So I think for him, wherever he does end up. I'm not going to – I'm sorry. Jason Witten, I'm fairly confident, will wind up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's one of the best players at his position to ever play. I mean, he's not just a pass catcher. He's a blocker, uh, a, a leader. I mean, him not being there also hurts their running game as well, okay? I mean, uh, with experience comes craftiness. And, you know, he wasn't the same kind of guy who got his helmet ripped off in Philadelphia and kept running down the field, but he found other ways. It's very much like Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald, you know, is one of the best big play receivers in the history of the NFL. Uh, I think well over 100 touchdown receptions. But under Bruce Arians, when he was there the last couple of years, they asked Larry to move inside to the slot to take on a different kind of role, kind of like Heinz Ward did when Bruce Arians was in Pittsburgh. And it helped prolong Larry's career, and it also helped the offense because he was able to do something different and take advantage of the skills that he had. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald 10 years ago, when the Cardinals were in the Super Bowl, had one of the great four-game postseason runs of anybody at his position. Um, now he's a different kind of play. He caught seven passes the other day and lost to the Redskins. So he does have a different role, and that's what Jason Witten was as well. And not coincidentally, we talk about Jason Witten having all those catches, the fourth most in NFL history. Well, guess who's got the third most? It's Larry Fitzgerald. Absolutely, and I couldn't couldn't agree with you more um, as far as Jason Witten becoming um, part of the um, Football Hall of Fame. And when that day happens, I actually can't wait to see it. Um, but that's all I have for you as far as my questions. I think I'll give it back to Oscar and see what he's got for you. All right, Russell, I really appreciate you making the time today. Always insightful. We really appreciate your uh, all the stuff that you do on Twitter as well. Uh, insightful numbers kind of makes you think about, you know, what happens to each team, your favorite team kind of dive into the numbers, also dive into, like you said, the personnel changes and how it affects everything. So, um, Russell, let everybody know where they can find you. I know you're at profootballguru.com. That's your main site there. But you're also everywhere on the Internet, right? Well, I try. Fan side in NFL spins on the probably my biggest gigs right now and so on. But I, 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 I tell everybody this. It's almost like a warning. If you follow me on Twitter at BaxFootballGuru, uh, whatever I write, you're going to get. And whether you like it or not, you're going to get it because I frequently treat out, tweet out a lot of my pieces along with the other information I like to put together, like the coaches thing that I did last night, which got an enormous amount 
uh, of attention and so on. You know, little trends. I, I like to give you food for thought. I'm not one, uh, one of those guys who tells you he's right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of a fact guy, and I let people make up their own minds. I, um, my motto in this business has always been everybody is right, but not everybody is accurate. For me, it's more important than be accurate. Everybody else can be right. And I'm right because opinion, as we know, in the opinion business, everyone is right. Correct? That's correct. Yeah, yep. but not everyone is accurate, and that's a whole different that's thing. That's correct. Yeah. That's what happens and nowadays, especially uh, with social media and everything else that happens. So it's hard to be completely uh, accurate. Sometimes you're going to be right for everything. But, um, Russell, NFL Spin Zone fan cited is what I follow, so you're there as well. And then you're also, mm-hmm. I believe, on Elite Sports New York, right? And then uh, over at the, yeah, uh, the Sports I do Post. Some, yeah, I do some uh, occasional work for them and so on, a little less these days and so on. But most of it right now is uh, fans. Uh, fans cited probably as much as anything else. I do some series for Spin Zone. Uh, but right now it's that time of the year where I'm doing a lot of game previews, um, especially this year for me. I'm covering a lot of the NFC North and the AFC North teams. And then, lo and behold, on Monday morning, I'm one of the guys that does the power rankings. So kind of, it was kind of an easy choice to keep Philadelphia at number one. It was sadly a kind of an easy choice to make the Buffalo Bills number 32 this week. Pretty easy, I presume. Um, thanks, Russell, for coming on. Uh, let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, once again, Bax Football Guru, B-A-X Football Guru. Um, you'll see that I have a lot of followers, but I'm also a person who likes to follow a lot of people back. I like the interaction. I let people, um, you know, we, we have our shared discussions in the group and so on. I very much like enjoy like everybody having a voice uh, and saying stuff within reason. Don't get a little too screwball on there and so on you know maintain respect let everybody else say what they have to say and so on but we have a lot of fun on our twitter account and you know fortunately because of my years in the business we have a lot of people some great writers who i've known and worked with over the years both in writing and television uh, that follow me away uh, follow me as well so it's a lot of fun i really enjoy twitter a lot but you can also find my stuff on on facebook there's the Pro Football Guru page. Instagram has Pro Football Guru. Uh, I think our next venture is we're going to try to come up with uh, Pro Football Guru, the detergent. What do you think? Pretty nice. You already had shirts out, so there should be no difference to yeah. wash the shirts with. Well, you got to. <laughs> that's right. You got to wash the shirts, right? So we're not going to do Pro Foot. We're not going to do Pro Football Guru pods. I can tell you that. Podcast. No, no, no. Let's not go there. <laughs> no. All right, Russell. <laughs> Thank you for uh, making the time. We're always insightful. Uh, we'll touch base hopefully before the playoffs start or at the end of the season or midway, kind of get your perspective in terms of where everybody's at. Uh, but great insights always from you, and really appreciate you uh, making the time to be on our podcast. No problem at all. It's great talking to all of you, and I look forward to doing it again. All right, Russell, thank you. Have a great evening, uh, safe travels, and we'll touch base again in uh, midseason or late uh, in the playoffs. You got it. All right, uh, Mackenzie, that was uh, Russell Baxter from Fansided uh, NFL Spin Zone. And you can get everything profootballguru.com on Facebook as well as Bax uh, Football Guru on Twitter. So he's always very insightful. 
very, very uh, out there as well. You can read all his columns and his rankings as well. So uh, an awesome guy to come on, and he's always willing to come on. So that's always uh, the best thing. And, uh, you know, even though we're, like, literally not on the blimp, uh, he makes the time. So I really, really appreciate him doing that for us. So, um, Absolutely. so Mackenzie, let's, let's go overseas before we get out of here. we got 20 minutes. A lot of stuff happening in the women's game. We are going to uh, touch base on college football week three next week. Next Tuesday will be our college football uh, touch show. We're going to be just talking college football. Three weeks in, I think, is enough to where we can actually figure out where we're at in terms of some teams. Uh, but if you need the insights, obviously go onto our Twitter feed. We'll get articles from everywhere on the, on the net, si.com, CBS Sports, everywhere else. You can follow us on Twitter at Great Iron Beauty. Check out our new T-shirt on Zazzle.com and the other shirts that are popular on Zazzle.com and you can save up to 30% off. So go to Zazzle.com for size for Iron beauties. Uh, check out our Facebook page. And we had a lot of stuff on Facebook this week. And I'm just going to touch base on a couple of things that happened this week. Uh, Alicia uh, Wilcott, uh, former player from Grant Blank in Michigan linebacker, also former uh, or, or also a player in the WFA for the Detroit dark angels was featured in the Nike commercial with Callan Kaepernick. And that was the girl that was the homecoming queen and football girl that was displayed on the actual commercial. So hats off to Alicia Wilcott for showcasing her stuff out there and in a huge ad. That is like huge, impactful ad. I mean, the ad was major press for Nike. So she was right front and center along with all the other uh, people that were featured in the ad, including Callan Kaepernick. So uh, hats off to her as well. Um, the other feature we had on there was uh, Kaylee Foster by, um, by God Love Sports. And Katie was this weekend, two field goals plus a winning point, uh, a field goal to uh, help her team win 13 to 12. You can catch it on our Facebook page as well. And so those two feature stories were huge for us. And so, uh, Mackenzie, I mean, that Nike commercial being on it, I mean, that's like it's going to live forever because that's just huge branding. Absolutely, that Nike commercial just in itself, even with even with Katie being featured in it, and even with all the other different components, it's just the commercial context itself itself is just so in depth and so full of just outright with different kind types of people, different types of sports, athletics activities, all kinds of things, and some of the quotes in those in that commercial on those little segments are just phenomenal. And uh, we got to go overseas and uh, congratulate Claire uh, Cochran out of the East Kilbride Pir- uh, Pirates of the BAFA women. She was uh, named uh, first female coach in BAFA women history. So congratulations to Claire out there in BAFA women over in Great Britain. And she's going to be running the East Kilbride Pirates. Um, so I believe seven on seven squad out there. So congratulations to her for uh, making that accomplishment. Uh, the other thing that came out in news and notes in the women's game, Orlando Anarchy Day, September 9th. Uh, so a shout out to Melissa Sparks and the Anarchy out there. They uh, got the city to give them a proclamation. And that is the, the September 9th is the day of the Orlando Anarchy. So congratulations to the uh, Division Three champions for uh, their city recognizing them. Absolutely. That's that's a great accomplishment in itself. And then to have your city be able to, you know, give the team itself its own day of recognition is just 
is phenomenal. And today's September 11th, 9-11. Um, I don't know where you were at at, at this point, but uh, reminder to everybody, you know, uh, we live in the best country on the earth. And so it's very rare when we have bombings and other things that happen in this country like they do overseas. Uh, most of the things that happen here are either internally related, but nothing in terms of a terrorist mode. But we are reminded, that obviously, that that could happen at any time. And uh, hats off to our military, our police, first responders, and everyday citizens that keep an eye, watchful eye for any type of issue that comes about. But uh, 9-11, huge impact on this country, and uh, we just uh, we can never forget. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Um, I believe I was in third grade um, elementary school when um, we all got the news about the attacks. I do remember freaking out and calling my mom to um, ask if my grandmother was okay because she lives in New York, but then was told that she doesn't live where the attacks had happened, but I was still, you know, worried as, even as a little girl, you know, um, when tragedy strikes and something happens like that, the first thing you think of is, um, other than yourself is who's affected in your, you know, in your family and friends, you know, making sure they're safe and making sure, um, you know, they're not in, in any kind of tragic, uh, um, means. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that we can't forget just like, you know, our, all the sacrifices that men have, uh, men and women have done for this country overseas with helping other countries battle uh, oppression, battle wars, battle everything else. So uh, even the uh, the current military state over, you know, over in other countries that are obviously helping other countries. So um, at this point um, we have on our Facebook page, if, if you haven't gone to our Facebook page, shame on you. That's what somebody wrote to me on uh, Twitter because we do a pretty good job there. And oh. I think we do a great job. So um, go to our Facebook page, Great Iron Beauties. Keep up with everything international women's American football globally, as well as keep up with anything uh, news-breaking also. Uh, this week, uh, Sasha Cruz of the Myha Blaze and also of the LFL Denver Dream uh, is pitching for her. Uh, for our, uh, she wants to be on the Maxim Magazine cover. And so you would have to go to the link there on our Facebook page and vote daily to get uh, – Sasha Cruz from Mile High Blaze of the WFA and the LFL Denver Dream to put her on the map and on the cover of Maxim Magazine. So if you got nothing to do each day, just plug it in. Takes two seconds. Vote for her and get her on the cover. So that way we can uh, get some awareness that she plays ball in the WFA and also in the LFL, and that should get pretty much notice if she gets on the cover. That would be awesome. Absolutely. I'm going to. I'm actually as we speak. I'm actually re. I'm retweeting that link and resharing that link on both my Twitter page and my Facebook page as well. If you guys want to hang out with us on FanDuel, primarily myself, but anyways, if you guys want to hang out with us on FanDuel, uh, if you want to play DFS, you play fantasy football, you think you're okay with that, you think you're good, uh, go ahead and prove it on FanDuel. Uh, the $25 credit on FanDuel, use my link there on the GB website, and you get $25 to kick off your FanDuel account and then uh, start playing for real money and real cash and uh, be happy on Sundays. So it's pretty awesome. So check it out and link it up and do your thing. Um, the uh, Mexican uh, gridiron players posted out a cool post uh, post out there, a Jersey challenge by FX Mexico players. And so basically what their, uh, their challenge is, is trying to get everybody 
to post a pic in our comment box of your team, who you play for, uh, who you've played for, if you played more than one team, kind of sh- shout out and put yourself out in uniform and gear and kind of showcase to everybody that girls do play American football and they play it at a high level and they play it globally. So that was a pretty awesome challenge. So it's a jersey challenge. If you're up to it, go ahead and post it, post a pic on the comment box and uh, hang out there with us and kind of showcase and explain to everybody that you do play American football and that you're uh, obviously a badass on the field. So it's pretty cool. Um, so the other thing is uh, over in overseas, a lot of things happening. Gridiron, uh, Gridiron Queensland will get the update this week on week four. It was 77-0. It was the uh, Stingrays beating up the Mor- uh, Moreton Bay uh, Raptors. You can catch the game live via live, uh, live stream Brisbane. That was on our Facebook page. And you can catch a lot of stuff on our Facebook page that you won't get nowhere else, no content anywhere else, because why? Because we are the best at what we do, and we, are, we have the best network on the planet. That's really what it boils down to. Nine years of hard work, a lot of contacts, loyal, passionate people that cover uh, women's American football globally, and we appreciate them very much. So uh, check it out on our Facebook page and go there. Uh, in season, Mackenzie, the Austria Women's League, the AFBO Women's League, you can catch the results and everything at football.at. And right now, six teams battling for the, uh, the title that's going to be uh, going towards a couple weeks here. And so right now uh, it goes through uh, November 11th. Kickoff was September 1st. Budapest kicked off the season 16-6 against Swartz Hammers uh, week, to, uh, week one, as well as the Newbie Dragons 30-6 against the Telf Patriots. Then in, in week two, uh, September 8th, it was Dacia Vikings, the champs, 64-0 against Telf. And then the Budapest uh, Wolves 12-0 against the Salzburg Ducks. So this coming weekend, the 15th, Dacia looks to go to 3-0 against uh, Swartz once again. Uh, and so hopefully they can muster a win here. But I doubt it. Champs are pretty tough. And then also Salzburg Ducks will take on the Newbie Dragons. The Newbie and Dacia top two teams in the Austrian League. And uh, so Vikings have won the championship, I think, uh, since 2002 or 2000. I'm sorry, 2004. So they've been champions for a long time. So very stellar program there in Austria. So uh, right now the standings is Dacia 1-0, the newbie uh, uh, 1-0, Budapest 2-0, Swartz 0-1, Salzburg 0-1, and Telf 0-2. So uh, women's gridiron in Austria, Mackenzie. Oh, this is a tough one. Mm, you know, I'm not really sure I can make any picks at this point. I'm just, I'm, I think I have to try to make my picks, honestly, during halftime of each game. I'm just, I'm real interested to see how the first, the first half of all, all three of these games, all, well, all six of these games uh, play out. Um, although, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally inclined to, to pick the, uh, the longest running champions currently, so that's that's a yeah. The only only two te- in my bias yeah, only right two now. games only two games this week. So Dacia should be able to get a pass from Swartz, and uh, Danubi should take care of Salzburg. Based on that, there are two new teams, so not a problem there. Um, we're going to go to the Czech Republic and the uh, Brno Amazons as well out there with uh, playing ball, and you guys can get catch the highlights also on our Facebook page uh, of all the action. There's a preview of the German League, the AFBD preview of the Ladies Bowl. It's going to happen September 23rd. Uh, it is 
going to be the Berlin uh, Cobras taking on the uh, Munich uh, Cowboys. Let me get my notes here. Yes. Um, so Munich Cowboys taking on Berlin Cobras. Uh, Munich uh, scoring literally a touchdown a game uh, and only allowing a two, under two points. Uh, Berlin scoring about the same, touchdown a game and, only, and allowing zero points on average. Um, so that's a pretty good defensive battle there. And DBL one. And then DBL two, Colin Ronan will be taking on strike guard Scorpion September 23rd. And Colin Roland uh, averaging about 11 points a game offensively and only allowing about four points um, in terms of, you know, defense only allowing the four points. Strike guard Scorpions, high-powered offense, uh, putting up about 20 points a game and only allowing about two points on defense. So right here, this, uh, the championship finals is going to happen September 23rd in the AFBD. So it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to gathering all these results and looking at all these games and just seeing what kind of talent some of these new teams across uh, the globe are having to offer as far as their talent for football and their passion. So I'm real excited to see how most of these play out here soon. So the other league that we are covering is Brazil, the Copa Sport del Brazil in the Brazilian uh, uh, league, and that you can get the updates on footballmanicanobrazil.com. And so uh, uh, July 29th with the kickoff, Sao Paulo Spartans uh, lose 12-6 to against the Curitiba Silverhawks. And then uh, week two on August 5th, it was Brasilia Pilots 44-0 against the Aracu Alpha. Uh, and then uh, week three, August 18th, it was the Big Riders of Sao Paulo, uh, uh, Rio de Janeiro, 39-0 against the Curitiba Lions. Uh, week four, August 25th, Sinope Coyotes. Uh, 30 to 30 to 8 versus Brasilia Pilots, and then uh, week five, which is September 1st, Curitiba Lions 36 uh, lose 36 to 0 to Sao Paulo Spartans, which the Spartans rebounds from the week one loss, and then week five, September 2nd, it was the uh, Curitiba Silverhawks 22 to 6. Uh, they take care of the big uh, Riders, and so a big I'm sorry, big Riders win 22 to 6 against Curitiba. Um, it is 2 and 0 big Riders at this point probably the best team right now in the Brazilian league. And then coming up this weekend, week six, Aracu uh, Alpha finish up the season here against Sinope Coyotes. And then the playoffs will start and we'll keep you updated that via footballamericanobrazil.com. So uh, there's uh, action happening in Brazil as well. So if you didn't know it, you know it now. All right. Um, so, Mackenzie, it's going to be a huge weekend here. Uh, Legends Football League uh, broadcast is going to come up here for LFL Legends Cup. It's going to be Chicago Bliss taking on the Austin Acoustic Live from HB, HBB Center. We're also going to be talking NFL Week 2 coming up next Tuesday, College Football Week 3. Kind of excited to get into college football uh, talk uh, with uh, Troy and the, and the roundtable once again. And so uh, – I can't wait for next Tuesday. It's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm really stoked to talk about college football. I've I've been waiting for our our show to talk about college football. There's just so much going on in in football in general. I can't even just say college. Just now that the NFL season has started and there's actually no more preseason games. It's week one, week two, NFL season 2018, week three of the NCAA college season. So it's just chock full of football, and I, I can't wait to just dig deeper into it with uh, the roundtable of us starting next week. 
All right, guys. Uh, everybody, go follow us on Snapchat. Mackenzie's following us on Snapchat, too. Uh, follow us on Instagram as we feature America, Women's American Football moments and highlights. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter daily for updates, health tips, and NFL news. And you can always go to the hub, facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties for weekly updates, breaking news, and inspiring stories. Check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for amazing shared videos of girls playing American football globally. Um, probably the best thing we've done in a long time is kind of everybody feeding us stuff now. Before we had to look and hunt for stuff now, people are just kind of sharing and sending us stuff, which is awesome. Don't forget to subscribe to our Apple podcast and download over 200 episodes with amazing athletes and coaches that we have interviewed over time. Uh, so go to the Apple store, check out Great Iron Beauties, or you can go to our Twitter link or our Facebook link as well. Uh, thanks to Zazzle for supporting our podcast. Uh, via Zazzle, you can go to Zazzle Daily, save up to 20 to 30% off. You can get Zazzle Black for about 10 bucks for free shipping in the States. And so go check out our stuff. Uh, every shirt that you buy, uh, we get basically revenue. Then we have a wish list. Then we send it out to the players that are on that wish list to spotlight them internationally as well as here domestically. So thank you for helping us out. Great month last month. Keep it up. Uh, check out our shirts. Uh, get the slogan shirt, the basic slogan shirt. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, no joke football basic slogan shirt. Or you get our new uh, hardware trophy shirt that we just came out with this week. So, Mackenzie, uh, awesome show. Russell Baxter here in the house. We had Holly, Troy. Uh, we didn't have Luis or Tracy. They shouldn't be coming back. But we were talking NFL Week 1 and NFL Week 2, and I'm pretty sure everybody was entertained. And then uh, this weekend, obviously, Legends Football will be coming up. And so we're going to be talking football as well. The Czech Republic the uh, Austrian League, the Brazilian League, still in action, and looking forward to the final of the German League, the AFBD, Division One, Division Division Two. So a lot of women's American football still being played overseas. Absolutely. Like I said, I think with all of us coming back as um, as the roundtables, we like to call it, there's just going to be so much um, so much content as far as um, women's American football domestically, women's American football uh, globally, internationally, and obviously with the starts of both um, NFL and college football seasons here, um, we're going to get really real into depth here coming in the next couple of shows. So everybody stay tuned and, and don't forget to follow our pages as far as adding us on um, our personal social media pages as well for all your updates, links, and just uh, general information and content about um, sports in general. All right, guys, you guys have been listening to the best podcast covering women's American football and NFL News Weekly alongside myself and Mackenzie uh, Brooks here. Uh, for the absent Troy Wilson, Holly Custis, Luis Bean, and Tracy Brick, uh, we'll catch you here next week right here on The Blitz. Don't forget to uh, share our podcast, and it's even better on replays on your time. So catch you here next week, you guys. Have a great night. See you later.